Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michael Walden. Thank you for joining me today on Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show is a very, very practical one, so you're going to want to take notes. This is about the top 10 or so laboratory and assessment tests that will help reduce your risk of chronic degenerative disease, virtually everything from cancer to heart disease to autoimmune diseases, you name it, that are available through probably mostly holistic types of physicians and doctors and practitioners, and some of them through your regular doctors. Now, what's important to know is that these tests are considered special. They're known as biomarker tests. Not all laboratory tests are biomarkers. So let me just give you a quick definition of what a biomarker test is. And again, listen up because your life may literally depend on your knowledge of these particular tests. Okay, definition. A biomarker is a test that lets you know how well you're doing now in terms of your health or response to any sort of therapy, whether it's a nutritional or natural therapy or a medical intervention. But biomarkers are something more than that. They don't just let you know how well you're doing now, but they have a strong predictive value of how well you'll do as you move through life, as you move through your aging process. So what I'm trying to say is this, and let me give you an example of our first biomarker test. And all of you have heard about it. It's vitamin D3, not vitamin D2, and not vitamin D1, 25 hydroxy D3. Don't worry about the big words. You simply need to know that vitamin D3 dihydroxy, that is the most important nutritional biomarker test that there is, which means this. If you get your vitamin D3 level checked and you have a level of vitamin D that is less than 30, the range on a blood test for most labs is between 30 and 100. Now, if you have a 30 or below, your risk of premature death and your susceptibility to various degenerative diseases. Again, everything from cancer to heart disease, autoimmune disease, diabetes, arthritis, inflammatory diseases, heart disease, you name it. All of that exponentially increases. The lower your vitamin D, the higher your risk of dying of absolutely anything. Now, it's not enough to just know that vitamin D3 is in the top of our list of biomarker tests. It's also essential to know where you as an individual should be within that range of zero to 100. Now, some of you are thinking, because some of you are my patients, thinking, wait a minute, when I saw Dr. Michael Wald and my, he looked at my vitamin D3 levels, he said to me that my vitamin D3 was in the range of 30 to 100. And my medical physician said, that's great. As long as you're above 30, you're good. But Dr. Wald said, <laughs> I want you to remember this, folks, that you want your vitamin D3 to be no less than a 70. And what's better yet, as an, an optimal D3, is a vitamin D3 between 70 and 100. In other words, the higher normal 
your vitamin D3, the better your quality of life tends to be and the longer your life tends to be. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I get plenty of sun, or yes, I'm aware that my vitamin D is low. My doctor said to, number one, go take some vitamin D3, which by the way, folks, is absolutely malpractice without giving a dose yeah, that's completely inappropriate. Secondly, or some of you will say to me, oh, but my doctor said to take 2,000 IUs of vitamin D3 or 5,000 or 10,000. All of those answers are wrong. If you have a vitamin D3 level less than 30, or I should say 30 and, and lower than that, and you are of normal weight, you need to take 50,000 vitamin units once a week for eight weeks, and then you check your vitamin D level again. And depending on where your vitamin D level is within that range of 30 to 100, will determine how much more vitamin D you need to get you between that 70 and 100 range. And again, some of you are thinking, because you're very smart listening to Ask the Blood Detective, right? we've been through this before, is, well, how do you know if you're taking too much vitamin D3? Well, that's pretty easy. For those of you who said, well, it's based on the vitamin D3 level. It's a, if it's above 100, that's too much. Well, that is something to look at, but that does not necessarily mean you're taking too much vitamin D3. Taking too much is when your calcium on your blood, your serum calcium level is elevated because vitamin D can cause hypercalcemia or high levels of calcium. Some of the symptoms might be heartburn or muscle spasms, tight muscles, for example. But these are all entirely reversible when you stop or you reduce the vitamin D3 level. You know, in the old days, in the 50s, when people in the 60s were taking vitamin D like it was candy, some people died. Some people got vitamin uh, D toxicity, which caused uh, hepatitis. Now, hepatitis is just a generalized term for inflammation of the liver. And as you know, there's hepatitis C, there's hepatitis A and B, there's drug-induced hepatitis, and there's nutritional-induced hepatitis, and there's other forms as well. But my point here is that the liver inflammation, the hepatitis, if caused by vitamin D, will go right back to normal when you stop taking D. Again, in the old days, people took this stuff, they didn't know it was causing anything, and then because of all those problems earlier on, decades ago, that's one of the reasons why people today are so deficient in vitamin D because they weren't taking it because they were told by their doctors that this stuff is toxic. It's not that it's toxic, it just wasn't used right. Even water is toxic in the wrong amounts. Okay, so test number one is vitamin D3. Quick summary, you want your range of vitamin D3 to be between 70 and 100, that's right. The higher normal your vitamin D, the better. Now, by the way, I did mention that too much vitamin D can cause an elevated calcium, but there are other causes of elevated calcium. Dehydration is a cause. Laboratory error is a cause of high calcium. And so is hyperparathyroidism and various cancers. Cancers go through bone. They release calcium and they, and they elevate it in the blood. So vitamin D3 is the, uh, the first biomarker test. Now... You'd want to use pharmaceutical-grade vitamin D3. Everything in the blood detective line, my vitamin D50,000, my vitamin D5,000, they're all pharmaceutical-grade. Now, I do not believe you should just go out and take vitamin D3. You need to be monitored. And it's not enough, folks, to just take the right nutrition. You have to make sure it gets you in not just the normal range, 
but the optimal range. The normal range for D is 30 to 100. The optimal range for D is about a 70 or between 70 and 100. Okay, now let's talk about the next biomarker test. Again, biomarkers. Biomarkers are tests that tell you how well you're doing now, like how's my vitamin D level doing now? And it predicts your future morbidity and mortality, which means it predicts if you're gonna die prematurely from various disease and they predict quality of life. Urinary levels of vitamin C, extremely important. Over a thousand enzymes are dependent on vitamin C. And for those of you who think you're fine because you take vitamin C or you take a lot of vitamin C, you are wrong. The amount of vitamin C you take has nothing to do with what you absorb. Also, some of you have said to me, but Dr. Wald, my blood levels, my plasma levels of vitamin C are fine, they're even high. It's not how high they are in the blood. It's, is, it is how present vitamin C is in the urine. So think of your body, you know, think of yourself looking at yourself, okay, taking vitamin C and it's filling you up from your toes to the top of your head. That's your blood level. For you to be fully saturated with vitamin C, which is what you want, you always want 100% of a job done, right? You don't want 99% of a roof done. One rain, you're in, you're in trouble. The same thing with vitamin C or any other nutrient. You need to see vitamin C in the urine. That amount of vitamin C, the presence in the urine, represents what is above and beyond saturation of all your body tissues. If you do not have vitamin C in your urine, you are low in body tissues. If you do not have vitamin C in your urine, you are underdosed in vitamin C. If you want to maximize the immune modulating effects of vitamin C, the anti-cancer effects of vitamin C, which by the way, can be achieved by oral vitamin C, all these people wasting their money on intravenous vitamin C drives me crazy. And for those of you getting intravenous vitamin C, let me tell you how you can tell if your doctor knows what the heck they're doing. Number one, before you get intravenous vitamin C, you need a special blood test. And that blood test is called glucose 6-dehydrogenase. It's abbreviated G6PD, okay? G6PD. If you have that test and that result on a blood test, it's covered by insurance. If that is low and you take intravenous vitamin C, it could kill you. It could kill you. This is not my opinion. This is not a holistic idea. This is medical and physiologic fact. If you're getting intravenous vitamin D and you've never been told to get a glucose-6 dehydrogenase test, your doctor doesn't know what he or she is talking about. Another thing, I see this all the time, particularly in the cancer group. If you are receiving intravenous vitamin C, before, uh, well, I should, I should say, bef after you get your intravenous vitamin C, your blood levels of vitamin C should be checked periodically. Why? You need to make sure that that intravenous dose, which, by the way, you've been told is a lot of vitamin C, quote, end quote, oh, you're getting a lot. There's no such thing as a lot. A lot is relative. After the intravenous vitamin C drip is done, immediately, you should have your vitamin C level checked. You need to have it high enough that reaches the levels that are said to be anti-cancer in studies. So almost everyone that I see, their doctors fail to do these tests. So people are wasting their time and money on intravenous vitamin C. Now, back to the second biomarker test, which was urinary vitamin C. If you have enough vitamin C in your body to maximize your, your use and absorption in your cells, you should have the presence of vitamin C in your urine. 
Okay, there's another urine test, which is our third biomarker test. Not only do we need to see vitamin C in your urine, because listen, if you're going to take vitamin C for all of those hundreds of reasons that it could potentially benefit you, you will not realize that benefit unless you have your optimal saturated dose, unless you have 100% of the job done. There is a urine test that is called, you want to write this down, dihydroxyvitamin C. Now here's the thing. Actually, let me correct myself. It's called dehydroascorbate. So the test in the urine for the use of vitamin C is dehydroascorbate. If you want vitamin C to act as an antioxidant in your body, that's an anti-degenerative effect. You do not want to see much or any dehydroascorbic acid in your urine. There are some diseases where you actually want to produce dehydroxy, I'm sorry, dehydroascorbate in your urine, and that's in certain types of cancers. But for the purpose of this conversation, you want a vitamin C level in your urine, and you want to measure a chemical, which I just named, which is called dehydroascorbate, which will tell you if your body is using the vitamin C. You know, I've said it before in my other blood detective shows, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb from what you eat, and that includes nutritional supplementation. But once you absorb something, you need to use that something. That's called nutrient activation. I did an entire show on nutrient activation. You know why? Because no one is talking about it, which is unreal to me. Because if your liver and your kidneys and your intestinal tract, which are the three major organs that cause and are responsible for most nutrient activation, you're wasting your time and money on nutrients. For all those people out there who still have persistent health problems, right? Maybe that's you who wonder how that could be because you're taking all the right nutrients and all the right doses and all that. Well, number one, I submit to you, you're not taking the right doses. Now, this brings me to the next biomarker test. And this one, if you've listened to the Ask the Blood Detective shows before, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the body composition or bioimpedance test. This, my friends, is the single most important assessment test you can do of any type that is a predictor of your overall health, death, and lifespan. Why is that? And what is a body composition test or a bioimpedance test? A bioimpedance or body composition test is a simple test. It is non-invasive, perfectly safe. Two tiny electrode pads are placed on your right hand and two tiny electrode pads are placed on your right foot, and they're attached to wires. And a mild current goes through these electrodes into the body. You don't feel anything. Now, as the current goes through muscle, water, and fat, which are tissues, by the way, that have different densities, right? Muscle is far more dense than fat. Fat is far more dense than water in the body. The electrodes go through, they impede through these tissues, they produce a bioimpedance result which is fed back to the computer. And from this test, I can tell the exact percentage in your body of lean body mass, water, and fat. 
Now, here's the kicker. Why is this test the number one biomarker test, the most predictive test of lifespan and health span that there is? Well, think of it this way. As a person grows older, as they age, they atrophy, right? People atrophy, their organs atrophy, they shrink, and they don't work as well. And that means if the organs are not working as well, then all your blood chemistries are not good because they're produced from your organs. So if you have, if you have beautiful looking blood work, but you have a poor bioimpedance test, then the blood work is largely a lie. It is not telling the truth. If, on the other hand, you have beautiful laboratory work and you have a bioimpedance test or body comp test that looks beautiful, that really does predict a longer life because statistically you've offset your early risk or premature risk of various degenerative diseases that are the number one killers in the United States. So as you shrink, your lean mass shrinks, your lean mass is your organs. So anything that you do to maintain or improve or enhance your lean organ mass, generally speaking and statistically speaking, you will live not only longer, but you will live better. How do you improve a bioimpedance or body composition test? Well. The test, as a biomarker test, the number one biomarker test, the most predictive, lets me know, as I said, the percentage of muscle, water, and fat in your body. It also tells me the amount of water in your cells and the amount of water outside your cells, which are extremely accurate predictors of disease risk. Now, the test also tells me your metabolic rate. If I know your metabolic rate, I know how many calories you need to lose weight and all of it from fat and water, maintaining your lean mass, but I also know, because many of you have to gain weight, you have cancer, chronic diseases, you can't gain weight, or you're losing your lean mass. The bioimpedance test lets me know the, the percentages and amounts of protein, carbohydrates, and fats you should be consuming every day. Now here's another fact about this test, about the bioimpedance test, you may not have heard, which you must know if you're even halfway serious about longevity. Remember, it doesn't matter how many juices you have a day and what vitamins you take. If you are not, did you hear me say that? Let me, let me back up. It does not matter how many vitamins, minerals, herbs that you take and how well you think you're eating and drinking your juices. Eat organically, all of that. If you are not improving your bioimpedance test, you are not statistically improving your health span and lowering your disease risk. They know this statistically. There's a book called Biomarkers. There's two versions of it. It's written by Tufts University gerontologists, which are aging specialists. There's one uh, version of that book, which is more like a layperson book. You can get it on Amazon. And there's one that's a textbook. I don't suggest you get that one. It's highly, highly technical. It's way over the top, just not needed for, for people who are not practicing healthcare. My point is, it's that important of a test. It is an inexpensive test and read in the right context by the right practitioner gives a ton of information on not just foods, but here's something else I haven't told you. It even tells me in large part how to best dose your various nutritional supplements. Think about it. You take the amount of the supplement that it says on a bottle 
where did that has nothing to do with you? Zero. Zero. Or you take an amount, let's say that your practitioner, who I know is well-intentioned, said this is what you need. But that practitioner cannot know what you need unless you know your metabolic rate. People have different metabolic rates. Metabolic rates are tied in with how someone metabolizes not just nutrients, but even drugs. The drug therapy of the future will look at these sorts of biomarkers for tailoring and customizing drug doses and also obviously nutritional supplement doses in the hands of the right natural practitioners. So we've talked about vitamin C in the urine, dehydroscorbic acid or the oxidized form of vitamin C in the urine which says you're not using your vitamin C normally. We've talked about vitamin D3 and we just spoke about a bioimpedance test. Four extremely important biomarker tests. If you haven't heard of these tests or you haven't gotten these tests, then you need to question who you are seeing to help you with your health because these, this is not my opinion. What I tend to do during the Ask the Blood Detective uh, radio shows is I give statements that are very apparent on the surface with a little bit of explanation. For example, I said this earlier, that you're not what you eat. And then people scratch their heads a little bit. Then I say, you're what you absorb. And they say, oh yeah. And then I say, yeah, and you're also what you're lacking based on your disease. In other words, a person may be malabsorbing and they may need a lot more nutrition. But the disease also consumes a lot of nutrition. So you have to deal with the malabsorption and the increased consumption from the disease of nutrition to meet your needs. Okay, the next test. It's another urine test. Extremely, extremely important. It's called MDA, MDA. And that is short for malonyldialdehyde. Now MDA is a simple but very useful urine measurement. Malonyldialdehyde is a breakdown product of the outer covering of cells. That's called the cell membranes. Now, MDA is not specific for certain types of cells. It's an overall measurement in the body of oxidative stress. Now, that word might sound somewhat familiar to you because you've heard of antioxidants and you might have heard of oxidants which cause damage. And MDA is a measurement, an indirect measurement of cellular damage. It's an, it's an aging or longevity biomarker. We know that the higher the urinary or the blood levels of MDA, the worse off someone's disease is and the worse they are aging. If, on the other hand, you can improve your healing, your regenerative capacity at a quicker, more effective rate than your degenerative capacity, you will have less MDA released from cells. So therefore, the, the least amount of MDA in your urine, the better off you are. So when I measure MDA and I'm trying to figure out the right doses and types and balance of antioxidants or anti-MDA nutrition, which are the antioxidants, I would need to give an amount of these antioxidants, which is determined based on a lot of factors, uh, doing a very careful health and nutritional history on a, on a patient, uh, uh, doing other blood tests and seeing how they look, and all the urine tests and, and who knows what other tests, and also based on the medical and, li and the uh, nutrition literature. All of that 
in context with what your what your particular urinary level of MDA is will tell me which antioxidants a person needs and how much they should take. How do I know that you've taken the right amounts and types of antioxidants, which are so important because aging is, aging equals oxidation. We oxidize. Uh, you know, another example of oxidation is when you cut an apple in half and you leave it on the, on the, the shelf for two days. It browns. That's oxidation. When you put a piece of toast in the toaster oven, heat oxidizes things. When you put an egg in a frying pan, turn up the heat, that's oxidative stress. That's how you age. So any health endeavor that is serious for the long-term reduction of disease risk and, and improvement of quality of life, extending the amount of time that you spend in what is called the non-disability stage of life. I mean, who cares about living super long? right? I want to live during the most active phases. I want to stretch out those active phases. That's why at age 51, I'm running marathons fast. I lift weights. I have no limitations at all. Most people who see me, one person today thought I was in my 20s. That I admit is rare, but certainly I can pass for 35. So my point is, this is not by accident. This information that I'm giving you is the information that I act upon on a daily basis to manage my biochemistry so that I age differently than others. Can I claim that if you do exactly what I'm doing, you'll age like I am? Of course not. You can't make those claims. Everyone is completely different. But the point is, if you are seeing me, for example, and you have a certain health issue, and we can measure that your vitamin C levels in your urine are increasing, that you, ha you have less and less and less of the oxidized bad form of vitamin C going down, and your level of MDA, which is that oxidant, is also going down as your vitamin D goes up, you are, you are affecting some very, very serious anti-aging effects here. You know, we all age, and we all will eventually die of something, but... We have quite a bit of say. And how you really know you're actually doing something for your future is because these biomarker tests, as I mentioned, are predictive tests. So the, the more of them gravitate towards improvements, you know, the ones that are high that should be down or going down, the ones that are low that should be higher go up, your bioimpedance test improves. As all these things start to gravitate where they're supposed to, it adds on percentage points of you doing better and better and better in terms of your quality of aging. Most people that I see have no idea, they have no clue whether or not what they're doing is actually working. They go by how they felt that day or that week or those few years and many people, I must admit this folks, and this is just human, people, people tend to imagine all sorts of positive and negative effects of nutrients as they take them on a daily and weekly basis. This is very susceptible to our emotionality. I'm not saying it's completely invalid, but it usually is wrong, particularly in, in the sick, people who have chronic problems that don't go away. How you know that you're really helping someone, even if they have real symptoms, if someone has real symptoms, but these biomarker tests are improving, those symptoms are likely going to go away eventually. If someone has a bunch of symptoms and their biomarker tests are worsening, that's bad. So you can't tell, and you shouldn't jump to conclusions, that if your symptoms and health problems are the same, 
that it actually means the same thing relative to your biomarker tests. So as you correct your chemistry, as you correct your biomarkers, you'll need to get to some level of improvement before you realize, oh wow, I'm, I'm better today. It's an accumulative effect. A little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, boom, I'm better. But the same thing, right? The same thing's true in reverse with disease. Disease usually doesn't just pop up one day, even when it seems like it is. What happens is there are gradual problems with our biochemistry which affect cells or are affected by the cells. The cells make up tissues, tissues make up organs, organs make up organ systems, and then suddenly the body can't compensate anymore and then you get a symptom. You might get a symptom early in the course of a disease or you might get a symptom way before, it, you know, it's just too late. That's why biomarkers are important because they are peering into the unseen. That's what a self-made blood detective does. And that's what I'm trying to do here is create you as your own blood detective, your own health advocate. That means you have to have some knowledge in these tests. You also, by the way, and this is just my humble opinion, you cannot rely on doctors with no training in nutrition to support your holistic and natural nutritional ways of thinking. I have patients that spend so much time in upset, wondering why their doctors don't believe them, this, that, and the other thing. Well, why should they? They have no training. So let's let that go. Let's spend no time on that. Why, why, why? Why does a Democrat disagree with a Republican? You know, why does a Republican disagree with a Democrat? It's just inherent. Um, and you can talk until you're blue in the face. <laughs> so my point here is that you need to be your own healthcare advocate. You need to know these biomarker tests. So we've talked about MDA or malonaldehyde, which is an oxidative marker. If you're taking the right antioxidants, you're taking the right balance for yourself. That chemical will go from a high value to a low value and might even disappear uh, in the urine. Your vitamin C level needs to be high in the urine. Your vitamin C use test, dehydroascorbic acid, should be low in the urine. Your vitamin D should be between 70 and 100. Your body composition, well, the answer to where you should be with that test depends on a lot of factors. So that's not something I can tell you here on the radio show. Now, another very important test, and it's a very simple test, is urinary calcium. Now, why should you care about urinary calcium? I'll tell you why. Here's the thing. If you have too much calcium in your urine, you're prone to kidney stones. The calcium will precipitate, it'll get stuck in your kidneys and will form stones, which are extremely painful and are, um, you know, sometimes a complex medical issue. But more importantly, or I should say as importantly, as importantly as avoiding kidney stones, which by the way, will only occur in an individual if the person is dehydrated. If you are dehydrated, you don't have enough water in your body, you will precipitate calcium into stones. If you drink a lot of water, that will not happen. And, and in the cases only maybe of rare genetic disorders where you accumulate just too much calcium. But here's the other thing. If you have excessive calcium in your urine, it's likely because your bones are losing calcium. Now, all of this crazy nonsense that calcium by mouth will improve your bones is, is, is not proven. It's very weak evidence for that. Yes, you heard me right. 
yes, calcium is, is in bone, and most of bone is probably calcium. Maybe it's actually protein. But the point is that there are no convincing studies that taking high doses of calcium offsets bone loss. In fact, it probably does the opposite. In those countries that consume the highest amounts of calcium, they tend to have the highest rates of osteoporosis, which is, which is bone loss. Now, bones are made of protein, as I said. So think of bones like the structure of a building. The, a building has a frame, and let's say, let's say that's made of protein. All the bricks in the building, or a lot of the bricks, most of the bricks, are made of calcium, but they're also made of magnesium, boron, silica, strontium. And uh, bone loss is ultimately really caused by inflammation. Yes, there's hormonal effects upon bone. Yes, there's nutritional effects upon bone. Yes, there's disease effects, effects on bo upon bone. But all of these things uh, precipitate inflammation. Now, here's my point. If you have urinary calcium that's high, that has been associated with a number of health problems. Number one, with clotting disorders, blood clots. It's associated with bone loss, as I've just said. It's also associated with arthritis because as calcium exits bone, it gets stuck in the soft tissue that are your joints, and that causes arthritis. But that calcium not only leaves your bones, can come out in your urine, can get stuck in your joints, and precipitate out causing arthritis. But that calcium also gets stuck in blood vessels like the vessels in your heart or vessels anywhere else in your body. You know, that's why you, you have these individuals, they get these fast CT scans and they say, yep, they found calcium in my, my uh, coronary arteries in my heart. First of all, I remind them that those CT scans are a, the equivalent, folks, of several hundred x-rays. You're better off having the calcium than the x-rays, I would say. But here's my real point. When calcium exits the bone, your body needs to stick it somewhere. So that's why bone loss is associated with higher arthritis risk and higher arterial sclerosis or hardening of the arteries. Also, it's associated with increased risk of breast cancer, particularly and especially in those women that, has, that have what, are, what is known as calcium-laden breast cysts, calcium that accumulates in the breast. And it accumulates in the area of the breast because of inflammation in the breast. So the calcium is actually kind of part of the repair process, but it doesn't help. So it is generally accepted now uh, by endocrinologists and by oncologists and uh, OBs, for example, uh, that calcium accumulation in the breast is a highly predictive predisposing factor for breast cancer. So generally, you'll find people with bone loss, arthritis, arterial sclerosis, and calcified breast cysts. Now, these problems won't necessarily occur at the same time. You know, things happen over time and they are present when they're present. But a person with any one of those issues may be more susceptible to the other issues. It's also common for a person to experience this problem, all of these problems with calcium, uh, what's called dysmetabolism or imbalance, when they have a sluggish thyroid. So a simple biomarker test of calcium in the urine can help a, the, a practitioner figure out what it's going to take to mobilize that calcium back into bones, out of the joints, out of the breast tissues, and out of the arteries. There isn't any one thing to do for that. Some of you are thinking, no, no, yes, there is, Dr. Wald, blood detective. <laughs> there is intravenous chelators like EDTA. Well, 
EDTA is a chelator, which by definition is a, is a compound that can bind to calcium. It also can bind to some metals. But this doesn't correct the problem at all. And a person would have to get dozens and dozens of very expensive intravenous infusions of EDTA when there are much better options, far more uh, he uh, healing options that are targeted ta towards the cause or causes of this calcium problem than simply trying to remove it through intravenous uh, EDTA. Some of you are thinking, what about magnesium? If you take enough magnesium, will that help the body use calcium? Well, the answer is yes and no. It depends on the person. First of all, if you're not absorbing these things well, that's, that's test number one. We haven't even spoken about that yet, a test of malabsorption. But urinary calcium is something you do not want. It can also be caused by cancer, and it can also be caused by high parathyroid uh, hormone, and probably some other problems too. So the next biomarker test is a test that I've mentioned during some of my, my shows on Ask the Blood Detective, and it has to do with a urinary measurement of something called Indikin. Indikin is an old test, a very well-established test, that is a biomarker of malabsorption of an amino acid called tryptophan. Now you might say, well, who cares? So I malabsorb tryptophan, I'll absorb everything else, right? Wrong. If you malabsorb tryptophan, many other amino acids depend on tryptophan balance. So that is not the kind of malabsorption that you want. So the urine can easily be measured for indican. And when natural and holistic therapies are targeted towards improving the cause of high indican, the indican level will go down in the urine and you will absorb more and more of what you take orally. So there are many different types of malabsorptive biomarker tests. And I believe I've, I've done a show about absorption or malabsorption, yes. I did a show on malabsorption and malnutrition. I would suggest you listen to that because that is so fundamental for health, I, I cannot even overemphasize it. Again, you could take all the right supplements, all the right foods and juicing. If you do not absorb things correctly, then you are wasting a lot of your efforts. If you have urinary indican, that is a malabsorption test. There are also malabsorption tests that check for pancreatic enzyme deficiencies, which you need to absorb proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And there are many other tests that I talk about in the malabsorption show, some of which, you know, I base which tests to do for people based on a lot of detailed and personalized information. Because there are, there are thousands and thousands of lab tests. They can't all be done. They have to be chosen appropriately. So the, I use my, my blood detective longevity questionnaires, my, my detailed consultations with individuals, a review of their, their health history, of course, any prior testing they've had, and also what the scientific and nutritional literature say all together. And then we do a little trial and error, and that's how you figure things out. Okay, the next biomarker test, and that is blood pH. For those of you that may not know what pH is, that that abbreviation is uh, probably stands for per hydrogen, but my my point in mentioning is that your acid base balance in the body is essential for health, and if it is off, either too high or too low, then one's risk of all sorts of diseases and dysfunctions exponentially, in some cases, increases. Now, 
here is a distinction that's important. And, and by the way, I did a 15-minute radio show and a 60-minute radio show on uh, pH called PH Lies, which you can find on my blog at www.integratednutritionny.com. And by the way, since I've given the website, send me your show topic ideas to info at blooddetective.com. And some of you are going to want to consult with me, and that, that would be fantastic. I would love to, to work with you. I'm taking on patients at the moment. Uh, we can do that by distance, by phone, or in person. Just give me a call. I will personally return your call. 914-242-8844. I'll make sure if I'm the right person for you. And if not, I have lots of colleagues all over the world that I can refer you to and close to home, uh, most likely. But if I'm the right person, I will let you know. So... Um, one more time, the the website is www.integratednutritionny.com. Look under the blog section, and you'll see all the radio shows, and you can look under my video section too. Some of you might say, who is that guy with all the hair? I shaved my head, so you'll see me bald in some of them and hair in, in the others. And I don't plan on growing it back. I love uh, being clean shaven. It's good stuff. All right, back to pH. Now think about this. Put your right hand out all the way to the right and your left hand out all the way to the left. Now, on the right side, you have a zero. And on the left side, 14. The scale of pH is zero to 14. And the middle of 14 is seven. And seven is neutral. When you hear lies like you should be alkaline, what you need to do is uh, run the other way. Um, Here's what I mean. If someone says to you, you should be alkaline, you need to ask this question. Where should I be alkaline? And if they say, well, you should just be alkaline in your blood, you should be alkaline. Well, alkalosis or high alkalinity of blood is a very serious medical problem. And on the other hand, if you're too acid, that's also acidosis, metabolic or respiratory acidosis, or metabolic or respiratory alkalosis are extremely serious medical problems. So a person is not walking around truly alkaline or truly acid, but a person does the blood work, blood testing of a venous pH should be approximately 7.4. 7.35 to 7.45 is the average venous pH. So the number, the average of those is 7.4. Now. A person might do a little better in their health if they're a 7.5, and a person might do a lot worse in their health if they're anything lower than 7.3. Now, the reason why pH is such an important biomarker is because pH gives us some insight into our metabolism and our physiology. Now, what causes problems with pH? Some of you are saying disease, cancer. Yes, that's true. Those problems are associated with pH problems. But there's two types of pH problems. There are pH problems, abnormalities of your blood pH, that are caused by respiration problems, like lung problems. And there are other types of pH problems that are caused by metabolic problems. That means everything other than lung problems like, for example, kidney disease. The kidneys help balance the blood pH. Now, without getting into too much crazy detail, because I, I already have done that 
on my PH Lies radio show. So you can listen to that. Or you can go to my blog and look up PH, and you'll get a written summary of the key points of, of the importance of pH. So a blood pH is very important because the pH of the blood is the mixture of, of all of the different secretions of your organs that come together in a melting pot, and they should be around 7.4. Now, if someone has cancer, we know that the area around cancer cells tends to be acidic. So we might want to push someone's blood pH higher towards the alkaline side. And that can be done in a number of ways, the easiest of which is probably by use of potassium carbonate, not by juicing. Juicing will take you years on average to change your blood pH. Some of you are confused because you're thinking of your saliva or your urine pH. Saliva and urine pHs are, of course, they have their utility, they have their need, but they are not stable. Blood is far more tightly controlled. So again, listen to pH lies. You'll know more of what I'm talking about, so you won't have to take my word. I never want you to take my word for a thing. I want you to think for yourself because you guys listening to shows like this on this station know more. So I honor your intelligence by speaking to you as intelligent people. And these radio shows, they are complicated. They are meant to be listened to more than once, particularly if there's a need. So any health endeavor, here's the key biomarker point about the importance of blood pH. Any health endeavor that you undertake, whether it's meditation or exercise or eating a certain way or taking certain nutrients or whatever it is, if it does not result in a balancing of your pH around 7.4, then there is something terribly wrong with what you're doing. Now, one of the quickest ways to affect your pH, no matter what has caused it to be abnormal, is actually by practicing breathing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I do belly breathing, I do yoga and all that. Yes, that may help. That certainly is useful for lots of things. But, for example, what if I measured your blood pH and it was 7.3? That's too low, remember? Because we said 7.4 is where you want to be. Certainly no lower than 7.35. If you're lower than 7.35, there's a problem. And if you're higher than 7.45, there's a problem. But if your pH is low, you're likely not blowing off enough carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, if your low pH is caused by a respiratory problem, carbon dioxide becomes carbonic acid, which lowers your pH, which is not good. So practicing exhaling your CO2, your carbon dioxide, could bring your blood pH up somewhat. But if your blood pH is abnormal because of other organ problems, you can belly breathe all you want. That's not going to do it. How you fix your pH is by fixing whatever the causes of your abnormal pH. So when you hear claims that this supplement or this activity will fix your pH, you need to question that. Because no matter what is wrong with your health, how you fix that is by fixing what's wrong with your health. Being specific is what I'm trying to say. 
doing biomarker tests, for example, and, and very detailed questionnaires in the right hands of a, of a qualified practitioner, that is how you figure out what your needs are. Most people that I tend to, to see come to me after years of very, very strong efforts to improve their health. They've spent money, they've spent time, they're on the right nutrients, except they did not have the proper testing to dose these things correctly, so they've wasted decades. I sat with a woman just today about that. So the point is, doing the right tests is important and reading them correctly is important. And also doing biomarker tests that will commonly span over several different healthcare specialties is just how it needs to be. You know, as I've discussed on my show a number of times, medicine is a compartmentalized industry. Medicine is hard. To learn all that stuff, students need to have classes in neurology separate from classes in endocrinology, separate from classes in gastroenterology and dermatology and immunology. You get the point. But the problem is the medical student gets confused and doesn't realize what is happening to their thinking. They are being conditioned, brainwashed in a sense, to think incorrectly. The body is not made of separate systems. Any separateness of our physical body systems is artificial. It is all one system. Any problem in one area will cause a necessary adjustment in another area. So my blood detective approach is recognizing the truth in that, the fact in that. So I've made it my business to learn healthcare from a number of perspectives. And I've said this before on the show. I went to chiropractic college. I went to medical school. I'm doing nursing school. I went to nutrition school. I'm doing this because I want to continue to enhance and expand and improve upon my holistic perspective and base of knowledge. The more you know in anything, the more you can know in anything, it all interrelates. And that's what is really important. I still see, even in the holistic circles, a compartmentalizing of the body. There's all this talk and all this lip service given to holistic care and being providing personalized care. And then people get protocols that you can read in a book. You know, So it's upsetting because most of the time those things do not work long term. Just, just look at your own health and, and see if that's true. Maybe it's not. I hope it's not. But it is all too often. So knowing your pH and making sure that you fix your pH in context with as many other biomarkers as possible is important. So here's another biomarker test that I like to uh, rely upon. And it is urinary metals. And you're saying, oh, yeah, that I did that test. I did a 24-hour provocation metal test. And for some of you who don't know what I'm talking about is there are urine tests for metals. But the testing that you want done are metal tests that distinguish between what are called free metals, F-R-E-E, free metals. They're just floating around themselves. Or not free or protein-bound metals. Urine tests that can distinguish between free metals and protein-bound metals are the best tests for the following reason. If you have proteins bound to the metals and they're in your urine, those metals are not hurting you because your liver made this protein that bound to it and prevents the metal from locking itself in 
to various metabolic processes, calling, causing all types of problems. So I like to order these sorts of tests because if you still have the same levels of metals in your urine, because we all do, by the way, it would be highly unusual for a person not to have any metals in their urine if you breathe or live on the planet Earth. But if those metals are bound to protein, that's not a problem. Most people have not heard of this. But then again, most people have not heard of biomarkers. That's why I'm doing this show, because you people asked me to. You emailed me, you called me, and you said, do a show on the top 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever you think are the most important biomarker tests or tests I should get. Here's another very important fundamental test. And I'll end the show with this one. It's called a, an autonomic nervous system test. Your nervous system has a part called the autonomic nervous system, which does things automatically so you don't have to think about them. If you had to think of everything your body had to change, you probably couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. But that's why we have an autonomic nervous system that does things automatically. But listen to this, folks. The autonomic nervous system has two parts, a sympathetic part and a parasympathetic part. And all you really need to know is the sympathetic part speed things, speeds things up. It's like, it's like the stress response. It gets things moving, heart rate up, blood flow going, sweating, reaction times, thinking improves, all of that. And the parasympathetic is the relaxing, healing, reparative part of the nervous system. Different nutrients, and therefore different foods that contain different nutrients, may have differing effects upon the different parts of your autonomic nervous system, which is made of the, that's right, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. Now, the nervous system controls every single function in the body. So you bet it's one of the most important biomarker tests. Imbalances between your sympathetic and parasympathetic test uh, systems, which you can only figure out by testing them, can go a long way towards improving lifespan and health span because abnormalities or imbalances between these systems predict things like hypertension, increased cardiovascular risk, diabetes, stress, anxiety, and all sorts of other killers. And a Mayo Clinic study several years ago determined that this sort of testing and the imbalances that can be read from it can also give a practitioner a much more accurate idea of the proper dosing of things like magnesium, antioxidants, and fatty acids, just to name a few things. So your nervous system is the antenna of your body, and it filters a lot of information. All forms of stress, psychological stress, physical stress, the stress of repair, the stress of aging, the stress of exercise, all of that is filtered through and causes changes in your nervous system. And your nervous system tells your other organs what to do. So what I like to do is to get a baseline of the autonomic nervous system. And then as I provide a person with improvements in their lifestyle, again, whether it's foods, exercise, nutritional supplements, stress reduction, you know, coping mechanisms, what have you, then I check back on the autonomic nervous system to make sure it's responding. Health problems associated with, with autonomic nervous system dysfunction are extreme they, they can range from pain to high blood pressure to memory problems to anxiety to palpitation 
and other heart dysrhythmias, to sleep disorders, to digestive problems, to hormonal problems. Why? Because all of those seemingly different problems have one very specific thing in common, and that is how well the autonomic nervous system is functioning. So a test of the autonomic nervous system is done very simply, non-invasively, such a simple, beautiful test. A special type of receiver is placed upon the chest, right under the, uh, right under the breastbone. It's got a little ultrasound gel, and it's just strapped on you, like a workout strap that, that's connected to your heart rate monitor, if you have one. And then there is a, another receiver that is clipped on your clothing that receives the signals from the strap that I've just placed around your chest. You are, uh, in go you're going to be in two positions during the test, either lying or sitting, and then standing. And these different positions measure the activity of both parts of the autonomic nervous system that does things automatically, namely the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. And based upon that imbalance, all sorts of lifestyle hygiene suggestions can be provided for accurately helping everything from sleep apnea, which I didn't mention just a moment ago, to um, you name the problem, again, digestive problems, hormonal problems, cardiac problems, anything that involves a nervous system, which is everything. So very important biomarker tests. So to wrap it up, biomarker tests are tests that give insight into multiple systems at one time that give fundamental information that goes a long way towards letting you know if your health is actually improving now. This is how I opened up the show. And more importantly, biomarkers, as more of them come together, they predict how well you, your body will age. So I hope that you found this show uh, useful because uh, it, it really is. And I'm, and I'm very happy that so many of you re re requested it. You can look up the show on my blog at www.integratednutritionny.com. Now, for the next show, I'll be talking about my top uh, handful of nutritional picks or choices for uh, reliably combating and beating down inflammation, which is a major killer. So inflammatory busters, maybe I'll call it, something like that. So for those of you who have other show ideas or you want to see me as either an in-person patient or a distance patient, because I do see people, talk to people in other states, other countries, just email me at info at blooddetective.com or leave me a message on my personal cell, which is 914-242-8844, and I'll get right back to you. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'll see you next time on Ask the Blood Detective when we talk about inflammation busters. Thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Michael Wald. Take care, everyone.